0: Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Callahan,
1: And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. And today we've got two guests who are going to be talking about a topic of narrative inquiry or story listening, which is one of the topics, one of the 14 topics in our corporate storytelling paper that we released two weeks ago. And uh, I've got the pleasure of int- introducing Tracy and Bernard Swanapole who are based in Johannesburg in South Africa. And I had the, the, the pleasure of spending some time with them in South Africa a few years ago uh, when they were doing their accreditation for the Storytelling for Leaders program. And so it's uh, uh, wonderful to have you both on the podcast and uh, I'll just do a, a, a quick intro. First of all, Tracy. So Tracy is the founder of Thinkspiration, which is a specialized a specialist consultancy. Helping leaders focus on on strategy and and getting strategy understood. Tracy is the author of The Leadership Riptide and How to Escape It, uh, which was selected by the South African Board of People Practices as one of their top five leadership books. And uh, I've read it. It's fantastic. It was one of those books that uh, all the way through, I learned stuff. Uh, there wasn't just like one or two chapters of interesting things um, that was a f- fantastic read and Tracy's now writing a second book and Bernard is the founder of Thinkspiration or oh, sorry the the uh, one of the partners in Thinkspiration and has had a long and and uh, celebrated career uh, he was CEO of Harmony Gold he's a business mo- a business owner he is director of numerous mining operations uh, across the world, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Canada. He's on the board of a number of companies, uh, the chair of uh, two online conferences, one of them, which is the Joburg Indaba. Did I get that right, uh, Bernard? Anyway, the, basically, Tracy and Bernard, they're your average underachievers, so Looking forward to them joining us on the podcast today. So yeah,
0: welcome guys. It's great, great to have you on the show. It's uh, really, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, most definitely.
2: Thank you. It's really great to to be with you guys and your uh, typical Aussie sense of humour. So we're looking forward to it.
3: Yeah, indeed a privilege. Uh, I uh, in the last five years of my life get to share a platform with uh, my wife who's also my boss, and that alone is always
1: such a privilege. So thank you very much. Uh, yes, I've seen you both in operation. It's a uh, it's a great combo, Tracy. Uh, starting with the your book, "The Leadership Riptide" and how to escape it. What is the essence of the book?
2: Well, Mark, you know, I sort of I've worked in you know with corporates with companies for I've, I've been working for for quite a long time. And I um, really s- sort of, as time went on, um, just observed that leaders are really battling to change the way they lead people. Really battling to get through to people. Really battling to to, to deal with engagement. And engagement, as we know, is, is just getting you know worse and worse throughout the world. Um, And the, you know, there's so many um, initiatives, there's so many interventions that come from corporate, but it just doesn't seem to be making a difference. So when I, um, in fact, what really sort of triggered it was, we were doing a intervention um, with the coal mining division of a, a large multinational conglomerate. And we work with getting strategy understood Um, So we help leaders paint a compelling picture of of the future. We visualize that um, in a a picture. Um, But a a key part of that is, um, you know, there's there's the strategy that comes from the top. But in order to take people to the future, you actually have to go to where people are. So we do uh, what we call listening sessions to understand how people are seeing the company right now. So, uh, as part of this intervention, I was chatting, uh, doing a listening session with a coal miner, Ben, and um, we were. Um, it's a one-hour session, and we were chatting about the business. He was very sort of uh, uh, reluctant, actually, to to have the conversation. And we were sitting there, and you know, I tried to sort of relax him a little bit and, and get him, you know, get him to to open up a bit. And we got to the, co- the part of the conversation where. I said to him, you know, so what, what do you worry about? What keeps you awake at night? And he said, you know, he thought for a moment. And usually when you ask that question, people say, well, you know, will I have a job? Will I be able to feed my family? And, and he said something that, that was quite different. He said, you know, what really worries me is how do I get my people to do what I need them to do? Um, and that pinged in my head because that's leadership. Um, he didn't call it leadership. Um, and I said to him, you know, Ben, well, like, what do you, what do you do, you know, now? How do you, how do you do it? And he said, no, no, I, I don't want to tell you. So I said, look, relax, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone. So he said, well, I shout, I scream, sometimes I swear. Um, and I said to him, well, you know, how does that work for you? Um, and he said, well, it doesn't work. So I said, why do you do it? And he said, because that's what my boss did. And, and you know, I when I drove away from that, I just thought, you know what, we've got to actually change things because here you have a guy that is actually looking for ways to lead differently. And despite all these initiatives, all these huge, very expensive corporate interventions, it's not getting to literally the coalface. It's not actually making the difference. So how do we go about equipping leaders with the skills to do things differently? And I remember that two hour drive uh, between the coal mine and, and my my place, um, I thought, you know, how could I? That was really the inspiration for the book, I guess, um, and that's that's really the essence of what the books books about. Um, yeah.
3: Mark, obviously, I have become the uh, president of the Tracy Swannable fan club, so I'm much more comfortable talking about what is in the book than what she is. <laughs> uh, I think if you read through the book, you will be struck as you've read through the book, but anybody who reads through the book will be struck by the beautiful way in which Tracy spells out what science tells us what works in the space of leadership and leading people and how in reality, we often do exactly the opposite, not almost the opposite, exactly the opposite, you know, not something slightly different. So when you talk about You know, what gets people uh, excited, what motivates people, you know, what makes people want to work. If you go to the typical corporate environment, we do the opposite. Um, And that is really the profound challenge that she lays out in that book, is how do we empower people? Because as leaders, we caught up in a riptide. Now, we all know, anybody who lives near a coast, is in a riptide, you need to swim differently. You can't just try and beat the riptide. And that is really... I think what she has introduced into this conversation of leadership is so profound.
1: Okay. So the riptide, uh, the inexperienced person tries to swim against it and they swim really, really hard and they make no progress. In fact, often they end up going backwards Mm -hmm. and that's the metaphor, is it? But leaders, we're putting leaders in the position where they're just swimming so hard um, and they just got to change instead of, Swimming into it, they have to swim across it, or even with it. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. I remember that. How that book was
3: titled?
2: Uh, yes, I thought that somehow I thought that was going to come up in this conversation. There wasn't um, red.
3: There was some red wine involved. No, there was. There was no, it was coffee.
2: It was bacon coffee. and eggs. <laughs> egg. So um, I remember um, at the time that Mark came to visit us um, for our accreditation. I had just finished. Um, My book was sort of at the proofreading stage, but it still didn't have a title. And, you know, it's really hard, you kind of, it's really hard to sort of do that, to just sort of say what it is. And we were chatting about it in the kitchen over breakfast, I remember. Um, And I have to say, uh, Mr. Schenk was the genius that came up with the the leadership riptide. So Mark, I hope you're planning a a trip to South Africa in the near future for the new book's (laughs) title. Looking forward to that.
1: Oh well, there's a vaccine in the in the offing, so that could be on the cards. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think you
0: should keep to the coastal sort of metaphors, and maybe it's running over the sand dunes, or uh, perhaps oh. uh, wading through the mangroves. Uh, what <laughs> else? Uh, I like it. I mean, I mean, I, I mean you, you've got a plethora of possibilities there, don't you? Yeah, you're know, holding yeah. your breath. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting about the title because people, the sort of the the question that they ask is. Like, what is this? What are you talking about? You know, what does a riptide have to do with leadership? Um, and it's actually quite a nice way of, of saying, well, that's essentially, you know, when you're caught in a riptide, as Bernard explained, you swim and swim and swim, you don't get anywhere. We, sorry, we're doing the same in terms of leadership. We have all these interventions, all this money, and we're getting no closer to the shoreline of an engaged, motivated, productive workforce. Mm. So, so it's a nice, it, it really was a stroke of genius. Mark, thank you.
1: One of my very few. So, <laughs> I, I do want to congratulate you there, Tracy, because you took a really poorly phrased question. Uh, you know, the topic that we're talking about uh, for the podcast is narrative inquiry or story listening. And I asked you about the book, and you told a story that tied both things together and you kept that all in your head and landed both points. So, uh, yeah, kudos you can come back
2: i felt I felt very very uh, rambly quite frankly <laughs> so thank you <laughs> but but one always does but you know you guys kind of you know you you're great conversationalists so it's it's uh it's a nice relaxing environment to do it in
1: so um bernard you've also well story the sorry the the listening sessions that you conduct are like an essential part of your work with coming up with the, uh, the strategy maps and uh, um, I know you I, you showed me one that you did for for the mining industry in South Africa when I was over there and uh, it, was, it was fascinating but uh, so have you ever had similar experiences with uh, with the listening sessions that were a bit of a revelation for you
3: can I uh, say to young people, if they were dumb enough to ask me for advice about what would I have done differently when I was much younger, i say, I would have learned to listen and I would have unashamedly brushed up on my storytelling skills. And I really believe those two things are actually flip side of the same sort of coin. Because I mean, as you teach, I mean, you know, story is the shortest distance between two people. And so uh, in the heydays of my corporate career, we were in a very acquisitive uh, stage of of, of, uh, uh, corporate strategy. We were buying uh, other companies uh, that uh, owned gold mines. I was in the gold mining industry, originally in South Africa, later Australia, Canada, and Papua New Guinea. Um, And when we do an acquisition in the South African context, one of your key stakeholders is organized labor. Unions, very strong union movements in South Africa. We did an acquisition, everybody loved it, and yet we got stuck with a regional union leader. Let's call him Sipo for purposes of this story. And Sipo was just not buying into this, excuse the fact. He was not seeing any benefits. He was just making my life hell. Um, and uh, you know i tried and i sent much smarter people than me to engage with him and his national leadership was supportive and the politicians were supportive but not super and so on tracy's advice i actually one uh, uh, day phoned him and i said we need to talk i didn't say i'm coming to listen because hey i'm the ceo of a big mining company i'm coming to talk i'm not coming to listen and of course tracy reprogrammed me recalibrated me and I drove about uh, two and a half hours through one Saturday um, morning, the only time this uh, person had to see me, all the way through to his offices uh, in, uh, in, in another province in Africa. And we sat down, and it wasn't going well. And he was ranting and raving, and he was making demands, and it took way over an hour. He gave me one hour. He's a busy man, and you know, messing about up in his life. He gave me one hour and well past an hour. He sort of seemed to run a little bit out of steam. And I was there to listen. So I prompted but trying to really understand what exactly was it that so upset this man that he could not get his mind around what we were trying to do. And then for some reason, he changed tack, And I could see it. I could see it in his posture. And he started to share with me a personal story. The story of how a previous mine we bought nearby, soon after we acquired it, there was an incident, a mine accident, and his brother died in that. Now, rationally, I can tell you it had nothing to do with me. It wasn't us. It probably would have happened. We had one of the best safety records in the industry, and when we take over an operation, the mine runs safer. That's the fact. His perception was, soon after we took over a mine, somebody near and dear to him lost their lives. Now from that point on, we had a different relationship. I listened, I got his story, the distance between us shortened, and it wasn't all honky dory after that, but we connected at a personal level and we could actually continue to collaborate and build a company together. Now, why didn't we listen? That clearly is when we connect with another human being, when suddenly we are not Democrats and Republicans, we are Americans. Thank God we are not. But just to make the point <laughs> you know.
0: yeah the um, I reckon it's so interesting that whole idea of you know listening dissipates anger. Um, I mm. remember when I worked in um, in Canberra, which is where Mark is heading off to Canberra soon. Um, to live and, and I was working in Canberra and I worked for a, a software company called Sybase and Sybase had arrived in Canberra, set up shop and did a lot of good business and then it must have fell on hard times because it disappeared out of Canberra uh, and I was there when it was coming back in. So there was this period where to the customers it felt like we had abandoned them, right? And so myself and my boss at the time, Walt Hoyer, uh, and dear friend. He, he used to be my basketball coach as well as a kid. But anyway, we went around to all of the uh, customers and Walt just said, Sean, we're just going to have to take it. We're just going to have to sit and listen. And we did mm. it. And they tore strips off us, mm. you know, like, like I said, but then they run out of steam and then mm. you get back onto an even keel and off you go again. You got it. It's almost mm. like you, you wipe the slate clean in some ways by mm. listening. It's it's quite, quite amazing. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I remember a, a listening session I had with in another business, um, a, a plant uh, business, and that you know tensions were very high, things were very rough, and this guy that I was having the session with, his name was Johan. He actually was he like banged the table. He was so upset and so you know, I mean, I've had listening sessions where people actually you know, I'll get to like tears of frustration. Um, so, you know, and, and I've, I've realized that you kind of just let that moment go because I've sometimes suggested, well, you know, maybe you need to sort of chat with the, you know, resolve this. And they're like, no, I feel fine now, you know, after, you know, I don't feel so fine, but they feel fine. But <laughs> it's actually incredible what insights you get and also how people feel after having had that opportunity, I guess, to, to have their voice heard.
1: Uh, what happened with your
3: arm? That's how we fall in mm-hmm. love. I mean, go back to the last time you fell in love. I mean, in my case, it's only 19 years ago. But you listen. You can't, I mean, hear enough about what comes out of the lips of the other person. I mean, just go to those early days and those sort of states when you know the other person is the important one and you want to learn about them and you want to know them better. Even as men, we shut up and we listen. And then in the corporate world, this is not what we do, right? We put on a jacket, a blazer, a title, and we tell. It doesn't work at home, so why do we do it at work? I mean, and I know we don't want our workers to fall in love with us, but leadership is about taking people on a journey. Now, how can you take anybody on a journey if you don't go and join them where they are? I mean, this is not philosophy. This is Mm-hmm. influence one-on-one yes paint a beautiful p- uh, picture of the future yes give hope yes excite people about the journey and then bother to go and find out exactly where they are the current situation their circumstances mm-hmm. that can only be done uh, through listening so any culture change plan which doesn't start with story listening is doomed to fail in mm-hmm. my opinion
0: yeah, that's, um I do have a question for you Tracy just on you know because you mentioned at the beginning um sort of the you know sort of cre- helping people create a picture of the future right you know mm-hmm. with your strategy work and and I've been chatting to some story practitioners about this topic of how do you do it and and um, And I'm interested in how does it work with a a story listening approach and, you know, getting that insight into the future? I mean, what sort of things do you do to to make that happen?
2: So one of the things that we do um, is we we create a visual, what we call it a visual strategy map or a visual story map, um, which is probably about 80% the journey to the future. We use an analogy or a metaphor that's relevant to, that particular audience but a key part of that to make it resonant and to make it real comes from the insights from our listening sessions so we always have a sort of we often call it the from you know we refer to it as the from culture or the from so some of the attitudes and the um the the insights that we've got from the listening sessions that aren't the good stuff that aren't the the nice stuff, um, and you know when you get an opportunity to to depict that in a creative form, um, it's mu- it's much more palatable for people to you know to understand. So often we'll have, for example, let's say we're all on the bus, you know, going off to the soccer stadium. If that's the particular analogy, we have what is the what is the mood and mindset on that bus, and we get to understand that by the soundtrack of the songs. And then the songs would be some of the the insights of the listening session, you know, the blame game, road to nowhere. But when you do it, you know, when you depict that, people love the idea that they've been heard, but it sort of takes the sting of the of the negativity away. So it it really it makes it acceptable. Um, And I think, Mm. you know, it's a very valuable part of the process, because otherwise it's just another thing coming from corporate. It's not us, you know. So, so that's so that's really how we put it
0: together. Oh, that's so interesting, you know, the metaphor approach, isn't it? See, it goes from the title of your book all the way through to your your strategy work. Very good. <laughs>
1: so, I, I seem to recall there was uh, one about um, you tackled some quite difficult issues, you know, safety, gender equality. Um, it was what? we're in gender equality that? Yes. Uh, that, that, that
2: yes. That so that was a particular very interesting um, insight that we got. Um, It was working with a mining company, and you know there's a huge push in mining companies for to to get their women in mining statistics looking good. And this particular company had really had all the boxes were ticked. Everything looked great on paper. We went in and we did listening sessions. And we, we weren't probing for this, you know, we were just ask, we asked people, it's a general conversation, we're just asking people, you know, what are the issues, what are the, the challenges you need to deal with? And this issue of women in mining just kept coming up, you know, it's, it's so inconvenient, you know, I mean, they need special toilets, you know, can't they just do the laundry, you know, these, these, this was the mindset. So there was this huge discrepancy between the what was on paper and all the nice box ticking and the actual mindset of the people. So what we did um, when we sort of did the feedback, we depicted this as, you know, uh, uh, we ha- we had a little bus scenario of everyone sort of sitting on the bus and the guys sitting there had little pickets saying, you know, we support women in mining, but there was a little thought bubble of a woman kind of doing the laundry, and doing the ironing. <laughs> you know? and And you know, what was so powerful about that was when the CEO spoke to that issue, I mean, everyone just kind of collectively gasped and got it, was like, okay, we now are looking in this, I often call it looking in the fat mirror, you know, where you see all the, the yuckiness um, and you have to confront it. Um, but it was such a good process because they realized whatever they were doing, mindset wise was not actually working and they needed to actually, um, you know, take that on and address it.
1: And, and so you yeah. picked that up in the story that's listening good. sessions, did you?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah yeah.
1: yeah. One thing that's I'm keen to ask, Bernard, all right. so you said there was two pieces of advice. One of them was was the listening, and you gave that fantastic example of how the difficult relationship was moderated uh, by by listening. Okay, And then the other one's storytelling. So what's the, is there any moments that where you went ah?" Oh, there it is. I can see where this works.
3: So, I've in my whole life had to communicate I in English, which is my second language. I know you can't tell, but I uh, um, wasn't uh, born and bred uh, in the Queen's English. And then in the African mining industry, we uh, had a, a horrific, like, uh, a makeshift language called Fanagalo, which had about 3,000 words in which you could give instructions. So how do you communicate as a supervisor uh, or a a leader in that sort of environment? So I have from young found myself using analogies and that's got its place. You know, an analogy has got its place. You know, instead of trying to communicate something, you make the case of when I, you know, for example, uh, if I had to explain to people that, you know, you should lead people in a way in which you celebrate progress, I would say, how do we teach our kids to ride a bicycle. You put a four-year-old, five-year-old on a bicycle, you're holding, you support him, and then you let go. And if they fall over, you actually celebrate it. You say, wow, my boy, this is the most spectacular fall I've ever had the privilege to witness. Let's do this again. Now, how do we do it at work? Exactly the opposite. We shout, we scream, we send out a memo with the rules. And then when people don't cycle successfully, we want to fire them. So that's the analogy. And then as Tracy got uh, uh, keen on storytelling and we bumped into you guys, uh, you know, with a specific, such a clear, thought out sort of uh, methodology, and I thought, you know what, if only I knew this at age 20, if only I was more deliberate, because on the one hand, there's a deliberateness about it, and on the other hand, there's a vulnerability to try To tell your story and let Mark Schenk tell you, this is a shitty first draft that we can work with it. I think anybody who's ever been taught by Mark Schenk knows what a shitty first draft means. But that's okay. And then we try again, and then we shorten it, and then we... uh, Now, I mean, nothing communicates better than a story. Mm -hmm. If you think of any person you look up to, there's a story there, you may not have distilled it yet, but it's there. If you think of a company that appeals to you, a brand, there's a story. Now, as a leader, surely you want to communicate as successfully as possible in the shortest possible time. And what better way to do that than through stories? And of course, we talk about business stories in the context of a business, but it is the same recipe as you guys have taught us also well.
0: well. I reckon one of the. Um really interesting combinations is when you take analogy and story and put them together, you know, you have an analogy and then an, what would you call it? An analogous story or a story analogy. Um, yeah. You know, the one one of the ones that um, really uh, stuck in my mind is last year, we had um, a CEO approach us who had a situation where he got caught out because he couldn't tell a story, but he's, colleague there was actually two ceos running this business um one was transitioning out of the company and this guy was a new guy and the guy who was there already stood in front of a big town hall and just sort of said uh hey has anyone heard of the movie hidden figures and everyone's going oh yeah that was yeah I remember that movie that was a good movie and uh, says yeah oh. remember when they brought the ibm computer in and uh, and dorothy Vaughan, you know uh, the the you know the African-American woman, uh, realises it's going to be a disruptor for the business and and for her particularly. She's going to lose a job and all her colleagues are going to lose their job. And how she goes out and she steals a book on Fortran, teaches herself Fortran, teaches herself how to program that IBM computer, teaches all of her colleagues how to do it, and they become the first computer programmers for NASA. Uh, And at the end, he goes, so what's our Fortran? like what's the thing that's going to save us from disruption what's the yeah. thing and it just it just took off the whole thing just took off whereas the other ceo got up there and did this presentation just full of graphs and you know like yeah. here's our utilization yeah. rate and here's our you know sort of uh, revenue uh, year on year and year on year profit and and of course the first ceo got all this feedback all this you know, people going, hey, we worked out how to, you know, we think our Fortran is this. So we got the team together and our Fortran is going to be this. And, and the other guy got nothing. And, and so I love this idea of, you know, the combination of, you know, story and analogy. Um, mm. yeah, I mean, you must see that in your work, you know, so so rich in analogy.
2: It's, I tell you, it's such a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a real secret ingredient because I think analogies are shortcuts. Exactly like that, you know. You know how you have, you know, algorithms process a lot of data and they tell you something. Analogies for me do the same. You know, like what is our Fortran? That's like a little. It's a little code, and it gets yeah. people. I mean, um, when we were at Harmony, we had a um, little analogy that we used: the cost marathon, because it was all about you know keeping costs under control. And the idea was, you know, you can't just do it once; it's a marathon. So you've got it, you know, so you can just use it, people get it, and you can build on it. Um, the other thing I think that's so powerful about analogies is they, because they are outside of ourselves, there's some way in which they work that they, they are not um, confrontational. Mm. So it's people, everyone can identify with it, mm. get behind it, understand it. Um and it's not like it's, you know, it's negative to a it's not personal. So it's it's about something sort of over there that we can all project onto and get behind. And I think that's definitely very powerful.
3: I Always I call think. it a great equalizer in the corporate world, especially if it's completely different cultures. You find the right analogy, we can all relate. Often it's a yeah. sports analogy, it doesn't have to be that Crazy done some amazing analogies of space journeys, you know, etc. And suddenly, I don't have an advantage because I did an MBA. It doesn't give me this corporate speak that puts you at a disadvantage. You know, we we equalize the conversation. Therefore, we are real human beings. Therefore, we connect. Therefore, we listen better to each other's stories. It is such a powerful tool. And the visual component of it is important. And I want to say to people who think of this visual thing, this is not like the storyboard you have seen from consultants, computer-generated. This is a deep insight built into an analogy that works site-specific, company-specific, and then every single... I mean, I've had 40,000 people in an organisation speaking to an analogy like they all own it. Now, that, I think, is what we are pursuing here.
0: Yeah, love it. Love the equaliser idea.
1: Now, I'm going to ask for a favour. When I was there with you running that first Storytelling for programme, one of the participants told... What is possibly the best connection story I've ever heard, and I didn't make any notes, which is bad. You know, like that's a, obviously a no no. But can you um, can, can either of you remind me of it? You know which one it was. Fifty cents, I think.
2: I'm one. giving that over to my husband to remind. No, you. I can't. Richard. It was Richard's Richard. I'm trying to That's
3: right. Yeah. Richard. So Richard. It's his real name, but we won't go beyond that. One of the wisest people I know. Later in life, when I went on and did other things, there was always a phone call back to Richard to come and join me to come and assist me. And he was in this uh, in this uh, space of uh, of interacting with unions. Um, which in South Africa still often was, you know, white management, senior executive management having to interact with black union and richard was relating the stories uh, of how he was growing up on a mine his uh, dad was the chief medical officer and so they had a, a house on the mine property and on saturdays one of the mine workers would come and uh, work in the garden um you know for extra income and richard was a, a young a young boy i think he says he was nine or ten years old when one day at the end of this shift, um, he's, uh, he observed his dad paying this man, this gardener, who's an underground mine worker in his normal job, his monthly uh, uh, fee, can't call it a salary, a stipend for working in the garden. And Richard saw this and he realized this guy for working four or five Saturdays a week in a month is getting paid less than what he gets pocket money as a nine-year-old boy. And that moment of inequality formed his life. He later got arrested by the apartheid government as as a student leader at one of the liberal campuses. He was detained, you know, uh, for a few days. His family worried that he wasn't alive. He had an amazing life, informed by a moment in time when he, as a young boy, observed something and from that point on could not stand inequality. Marked, I'm not even sure that was the story you were after, but that is is
1: that's the one. Yep, nailed it.
0: Yeah, that's lovely, it gives me tingles. That one, so uh, that's that's always a good sign. Um, the the other thing I wanted to ask you both of you uh, was also about graphics, right? Because I know that you guys are fantastic at illustrating your work and and your strategies and things like that. And I know for me, the the one I've used it a few different times in in different types of projects, but actually one of the ones was a mining-related project where uh, a friend of mine uh, who's a cartoonist, Jock McNeish, great name, uh, Jock uh, was doing some work in Western Australia for a mine and he collected sort of like some of the real key safety stories that were um, instrumental in how they viewed safety from a positive perspective, right? And he had this brilliant idea and he, he created these cartoons, really big posters that they put in, you know, like the, the shared areas of the mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you'd have speech bubbles, but the speech bubbles were left blank, mm-hmm. Right. And it kind of got people... You either knew the story, so you just saw it and you, you'd more or less quickly word in your head, but for the new people, they'd look at it and go, Bernard, what's what's this? Oh, yeah, well, you know, 12 months ago, and they would tell the, the story, which explained... It was like a trigger for stories. Brilliant. Brilliant, but, I mean, you must have found some really interesting things on how you do your illustrations and what works and what doesn't work. I'd love to, love to get your uh, take on that.
2: Well, I think I just love that idea. That idea is being stolen as we speak.
0: <laughs> good, <laughs> so, good.
2: You no, know, no, Sean, you know, what we find in, with our maps is, um, and, and we always say this, the the one part of it is to conceptualize all this, all this stuff, all this corporate stuff, the strategy, the reason for the decisions. I always think of it as like the plot of a movie. It's the reason why certain things have happened. You have to conceptualize that into the analogy and it needs to make sense. And you do the beautiful picture and it's a lovely, we love it and it's great, but that is 20% of it. The 80% comes in the conversation. So we train leaders to then have a conversation around that picture. And that's where the magic actually happens for a couple of reasons. And I think one is, is absolutely related to your um, to your blank speech bubble is that you ask people, so, so this person or this little in the graphic, the speech bubble says this, but do you agree with that? What would you put in there? Can anyone tell us about a time when you felt like that? So what we add, to the analogy is the power of storytelling and then train leaders to actually elicit those stories. So we say to leaders, so Mr. Leader, you've got to where you are by speaking, but actually this process is the opposite. You need to actually get your people to speak because that's how internalization happens. So it's training those leaders to facilitate the stories, to listen for the stories um, and to actually gather the stories around the picture. And I think that, that makes it richer. And, and I have to say, it's all credit to your process because before we met you guys, uh, our whole focus used to be on the visual. And now we have actually realized that it's so much more than that. Um, when you combine it with, with oral storytelling, getting people to have conversations.
3: So I mean, if a good picture is as good as a thousand words, I would argue that a good visual analogy, which has been, uh, uh, which the people in an organization have, have, have really had an opportunity to engage with, to find themselves in it, to see their unique contribution. I mean, suddenly a, a visual analogy could be like a million personal stories. And that's when people belong there. So mm. When my story is part of the big story. I'm not just a number. I'm not the voter who that didn't get counted, or you know. I mean, I am. I am it. I am the story. I'm part of it, and it works like a charm. It really works so well.
1: Well, that has been a fantastic conversation. Now we cut our teeth uh, in the story world on the story listing side of it, uh, where, in fact, Sean and I initially we didn't do storytelling because we. We could see that there was huge potential for story to be misused, and it's been misused throughout history. But our clients really wanted it, so uh, we we kind of added that to our repertoire. Uh, but yeah, we one of the things that uh, that we think has really helped us is that we started with listening.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's right. And and you know, I'm starting to come to this uh, viewpoint that you probably learn as much about storytelling. Well, let me let's rewind. I, I think if you want to be a good writer, you need to be a good reader, right?
2: Exactly.
0: And so to be wow. a good storyteller, you need to be a good story listener. Amazing. And you just absorb it. It's like how you learn language, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, know, you don't learn by just learning the grammar and, and all the bits and, oh, this part goes before this part and then that part. You learn storytelling by... You don't even learn it. You acquire storytelling. I think that's the... And you acquire it by hearing stories. And Mark and I, must have heard thousands. I think we mentioned this in the last uh, podcast. But, but I'd, I, what I'd love to get a sense from you guys is what are some of the lessons that you've learned in collecting stories? You know, like what works and what doesn't for you? Have you, um, have you formed some, you must have formed some really uh, interesting perspectives on that.
3: Trace and I actually both uh, together, I think, went, uh, you know, for training on how to listen. She humored me because obviously all women think they listen and they think men don't listen. Um, and there's enough truth in that that I think typically women are better listeners than men. Um, but I think again, I think one should firstly be very deliberate about it. You should have the intention to listen, even if the other person isn't in the same frame of mind yet, you know. And then I think. Listening for stories or listening is is really about just prompting the conversation now it 's a fine balance because I have opinions I have unique contributions to any topic in my mind. I have to bite my tongue not to share my wisdom. you know I am so clever <laughs> and yet I am yet to learn from you so i for me it 's hard it's sweaty hand palm stuff. it is sit on your hands and shut up and Engage and show with your I mean with your body language that this is important and make eye contact if culturally that is an acceptable practice and do whatever it is to make it clear that this is a safe space that you can really truly share your story. And very few people have been through a storytelling course. So there's some messy stories. They're all over the place. They haven't distilled them, they haven't gone through the shitty first draft to a second draft to a better draft. It comes out the way it comes out. But the pearls or the diamonds are in there. And so I must say, for me, it is really as simple as get it in your diary, actually diarize listening sessions, go out and listen, and then reflect on it. And sometimes, as I say, the the real diamond was hidden. You need to work through it a Mm -hmm. bit to get the, the deep story Um, But the person who gets the opportunity to share it feels like you connected with you. Um, So listening is the key, absolute key, as far as I'm concerned. I, I
2: of course, have to now have my little um, two-pence worth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I realised... Yeah, no, (laughs) of course. (laughs) I realised in our listening training that um, despite being... uh, I've always... uh, I have always believed in, in the value of listening and listening is a skill. I, I have realized in normal life, I'm actually a pretty serial interrupter. I, I get excited when people make points and I want to add my point to their point. So when we do a listening session, it's actually quite a great discipline because it's almost like you have to get into that mindset um, of you, you actually have to be an empty space and you actually have to inhabit the other person's world and not come to that conversation with wanting to make your own contribution. So it's, and I love that process. I really enjoy that. I, I, out of all the things that we do, I would say listening sessions are one of my favorite things. However, in normal life, maybe it's just in marital <laughs> life, I, I interrupt a lot. So it's like, I have to sort of turn the interruption switch off. Is that um, because
0: you have then- some competition going on there, Tracy? You know, you're oh, well
2: said, so well <laughs> said. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they came without mute buttons. The only design error, I would say, on women in general is the mute buttons do not work.
0: <laughs> well, so this is the thing I'm very, um, uh, you know, sort of I don't quite understand, and even this in Zoom call because you actually have your mute button on and we can hear you. Is this an analogy?
2: <laughs> hey hey great. I
0: there's one, there is one thing that um uh one experience I had that sort of gave me an insight into listening um it was actually with a um uh, you know uh, what do you call it a power station up in uh, Hunter Valley in in New South Wales and I was going around to all the teams talk to the leaders about um, how they work how they operate their teams and this one guy he'd become a new team leader and he arrived with his team and they of course they have a bit of a briefing session in the mornings and the previous leader just talked all the way through like he didn't listen to anyone he just talked and so they developed the habit of not speaking so when he became the leader he sat down he said okay love to hear you know what everyone thinks what we're doing and they just sat there. And he says, No, 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 no. Look, I'm, I'm serious. I really want to hear what, you, what you've got to say. Nothing. But like they refused at all. And so he, he sort of scratched his head for a bit. And in the next session, he said, OK, look, let's just talk about what we did on the weekend. So what did you do on the weekend? And the first guy starts, you know, well, I got a jet ski and uh, we went out on the lake and, and they just got used to talking. Right, and then it took. He said it took him a couple of weeks of just chatting about uh, informal social things, and then he was able to flip it to get them used to talking about business things. I thought it just shows you how ground, how ground down a group could be. Right,
2: we we see that all the time in our map sessions. We actually design those chatty questions in. So we, we, we say, you know, you might think this is weird, but we're going to start with a question like, what was the best thing that happened to you in the last couple of weeks or, you know, something completely, and then like, what has this got to do with the strategy? And we actually need to do that because it encourages exactly as in your, in your story, it encourages people to actually know that they have permission to speak because yeah. that, that isn't there, that isn't there.
0: Any last, any last thoughts, comments before we wrap it up?
1: I've been busy trying to listen, but I have a thought. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's that? But
1: it, it, it's something that we haven't said explicitly, but which has been implied, and that is that, that story listening, the listening sessions, it's not just about uh, getting the examples and finding the metaphors and analogies, but the whole idea that the sessions themselves are an intervention. Mm.
3: Indeed. Good point. Indeed. It is amazingly respectful and it always gets received that way. If you mm. listen to somebody, they feel seen and they feel heard, they feel respected, and that uh, results in connection. Now, in business and in uh, leadership, how could you not want to pursue that? Yes, of course, you can abuse it from there on, but that's on you. That's not what happens in the listening. In the listening is you demonstrate the respect and you connect.
2: Well, yeah, very very well. much so. Right. I, I always think that's the first step to engagement in the process. People really, really enjoy them and, and they feel part of it.
0: Well, I'm going to finish up just by saying thanks, everyone, for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. Uh, it's great to have you along. And, yeah, tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. Anecdotally speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from Author to Audio.